Okay, remember our story from last Sunday about the old man going to church. Man that was really physically crippled up a lot of years, could barely get there, could, wasn't able to do anything physically at church, just no strength. That was gone. He could barely see. His hearing was gone, couldn't hear the songs, couldn't hear the sermon. And someone asked him, why do you go to church? And I love his answer, to show whose side I'm on. Now, I like a guy like that. We've been looking at 1 Timothy, that sixth chapter. And Paul has showed Timothy that he is to flee certain things, to show whose side he is on, to honor the Lord. In verse 11, and he continues in verse 11, that Timothy, you are to follow righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness, to show whose side you're on, and to honor the Lord. And Paul continues in verse 12, to fight the good fight of faith, to show whose side he is on, to honor the Lord. And we looked at it, what it means to uh, lay hold on eternal life, to live with eternity in perspective. Uh, we need to be a people that start looking at eternity all the time. Paul wrote, wrote the Colossians. He says, set your affections, everything about you, on things above, where Christ is seated. Now, Jesus said, treasure in heaven. Uh, don't put it in things that can be stolen. Don't be like the rich fool that built bigger barns. And then God required his life that night. He had a short view, just saw the physical. Look into eternity. Uh, go to the throne of grace daily in prayer. We looked at prayer today in our study. Uh, what a beautiful thing we can do. And that's because of Jesus. We are encouraged in Hebrews, let us come boldly to the throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Prayer puts us in God's eternal presence. So use it daily. Uh, be a people of hope. You know, be in God's word. That'll give you hope. That'll encourage you. Uh, and, and that should show up in our way we live. So people ask a reason for the hope in us. And then keep looking for the return of Jesus. Early church did. I mean, it just changed their faith. Uh, they had that eternal look, looking for the master to come back. And we need to do the same. And Paul goes on there, as we looked at last Sunday, lay hold on eternal life where Timothy has been called and has professed a good profession before many witnesses. Uh, you see, Timothy was not a secret disciple. He was out, outward with his faith. Uh, Paul is probably speaking of his baptism. Uh, need to do these things. We need to make profession by word. Tell people that we follow Jesus. I uh, appreciate Brother Steve, what he shared this morning. That's, that's being proclaiming Jesus Christ. And we need to do that with others by word. Uh, we need to also profess him by deed. James wrote uh, his readers, he says, I'll show you my faith by my works. A lot of people say, I have faith. Well, he says, well, that's good, but I'm going to show you by what I do, uh, by the type of life I live, by the things I do. 
Uh, Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And Jesus also pointed out that as we love each other as fellow believers in our church, we demonstrate that we are his disciples to the world. Uh, nothing is more beautiful and, and a greater witness than loving each other in the church. That's powerful. And then we need to make profession by identifying with God's people. Baptism. Well, that's a way to identify. Be baptized. Go to church. Be like the old man and show whose side you're on. Well, let's continue. Let's take a look at verses 13 and 14. Uh, stand with me as we read these two verses. Paul continues, he says, Timothy, I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Uh, Father, what a privilege to be your witnesses, to be your people, to, to be your servants. And Lord, just help us to take uh, these words given to Timothy, given to us, your people, and rise up and be obedient. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Now Paul tells Timothy, uh, I charge thee uh, that thou keep this commandment. Of course, he's referring back to uh, the commandment to flee from certain things of false teachers, that he is to follow the things listed in verse 11, and that he is to fight the good fight of faith. Uh, so that commandment includes all these, but it's also a broader commandment. It also includes, in the broad sense, the entire word of God that Timothy is to keep this commandment. And Paul gives him that charge. Uh, so we as God's people are to do that. Keep his commandment. You see, verse 13 tells us why we're to keep the commandment. And there's some good reasons for it. Uh, Jesus wrote or told his disciples at the Last Supper, he said, if you keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. Even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. It is important we keep the commandments and follow him, that we abide in the love of Christ. It's really key to our relationship. And Paul also tells Timothy, there in verse 13, that he stands in the sight of God. He's to keep the commandment because he stands in the sight of God. It's a formal charge, a command given in God's sight. You see, God sees everything. And he especially is interested in God's, his people. He especially likes to watch us. I uh, like what David says in Psalm 34, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open unto their cry. You see, we live and minister in God's sight. He sees us all the time, especially those of us who belong to him. And as creator, he's the giver of life. He's in charge and we can trust him completely. 
And we need to keep the commandment because of that. And then Timothy is to keep the commandment because of Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. Notice what Paul says. That God, uh, he's in the sight of God, God's a giver of life. And before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession. You see, Paul gives us Jesus. He's the, he's the ultimate example of one who held fast to his confession. Jesus remained faithful to the word of God all through his life, no matter what the cost. And Paul specifically mentions the confession for uh, Pontius Pilate. And Paul wanted Timothy, remember the boldness of Jesus before the man who had power to put him to death. I want you to turn back to the Gospel of John, chapter 18. Gospel of John, chapter 18. And listen to the confession Jesus makes. In John 18, verse 33, Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again, and called Jesus, said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation, the chief priests, had delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight, that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king? To this end I was born, and for this cause I came into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. And then Pilate, in frustration, uh, what is truth? He goes out to the Jews again. And wants to move to chapter 19. After an exchange with the Jews, we pick up at verse 6. Uh, Jesus has been scourged. Pilate ordered that. The soldiers put a th crown of thorns on him. Mock him. And then in verse 4, Pilate brings out Jesus uh, and says, I find no fault in him. And then in verse 6, as Jesus is brought out, Pilate says, Behold the man. Uh, when the chief priests therefore and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. And the Jews answered him, We have a law. By our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. Now when Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid. And he went again into the judgment hall, saith unto Jesus, Whence art thou? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee, and have power to release thee? Jesus answered, Thou couldest have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. 
and Pilate sought to release him. He knew he was in trouble then. But Jesus was faithful in his witness. Did not back down from Pilate, but told him frankly. And as Paul said to the Philippian believers, that Jesus became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And that's why Paul refers back to that for Timothy. He's saying, Timothy, keep the commandment like Jesus Christ did your Savior. Honor his example. And that's why we keep God's word. Because of Jesus. Now, in the next verse, verse 14, Paul tells us how to keep the commandment. That thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, here we find a series of actions that will really deepen our walk with Christ. How to keep the commandments. The first one is the obvious. Keep the commandment. Don't miss that. Uh, that word keep, it means to watch, observe, guard, protect, preserve. Now, sometimes we will keep Jared and Erica's little dog, Monza. Uh, we have to return them. We, we try to keep them longer, but they want them back. But when we keep their dog, we watch him. Uh, we make sure he doesn't go chew up something. He doesn't need to be chewing up. He's pretty good. Uh, we make sure he doesn't sneak out the door, something like that. We guard him that he doesn't run off. And, and, and we uh, keep, keep him in the house. If we go outside, he's on a leash. That's guarding him. Then we observe him. We make sure that uh, he gets his food. We can tell when he's hungry. Uh, see if he needs water. See if he needs to make a trip outside, and we take him out. And then we preserve him. We rub his ears, pet him, and he sits in Sandy's lap, and he's loved up. That is keeping that dog. And it's the same with God's word when we keep it. It, it involves a number of things. Uh, we watch it, look at it. Daily. You know, it should always be before us. No, watch that dog. I have to watch that thing every look at it. You know, we ought to look out God's word daily. Then we need to observe God's word. We need to understand it and apply it to our lives. That's observing it. Then we need to guard it. You know, physically I protect my Bible. I try not to leave it in my car in the summer when it gets baked. You don't want to do that with your Bible. If it's raining out, I go get a gallon Ziploc bag, and I zip my Bible in that thing, then walk out to my car and take it out. See, I protect this thing. But I tell you what, I also protect it against others that may mock it or try to lessen it. And I guard God's word diligently in our church. Then I preserve it. I teach it to others. Make it central in our life. So all these things, when Paul says, keep the commandment, keep God's word, there's a whole lot of stuff there. That'll deepen our life. So that's one action. 
Then keep the commandment without spot. I just hate it when I'm eating and something off my fork and I don't have a napkin. And it gets on my shirt or my pants. Well, that's all I can see is that spot. And have to take that clothing and throw it in the laundry. There's a blemish there. A clean life is a wonderful testimony for Jesus Christ and the Word of God. But sin, when we fail to follow God's ways and God's Word, that will blemish our lives. And we see it, and in time other people will see it, and God always sees it. He doesn't miss anything. And when that happens, we have to put our life in the laundry basket of confession and forgiveness. Just like when I put, spill something on my clothes. I throw it in the washing machine. Well, for the Christian, spiritually, we just need to go to confession, direct to God ourselves, confess it, and get forgiven. 1 John 1.9 should be memorized by all of us. It should be underlined in our Bible. It should be a daily experience. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a great verse. Uh, that should be part of our lives every day. Now, sometimes we don't do laundry until we start looking for socks. Can't find any. You probably do the same. I mean, we just kind of pile that stuff up. Then maybe once a week, we'll throw it all in. Don't do that with sin. Don't pile it all up. And then a week or two weeks later, go before God. Here's a whole boatload of stuff. Do it daily. Deal with it right away. Don't delay for a major washing day. Just get, get it taken care of. So keep the commandment. Keep it without spot. And then keep it unrebukable. Uh, closely related to living without spot, it means to live a life that's irreproachable, that is not open to censure, that cannot be condemned, that's above board. Uh, it's kind of interesting, uh, the county clerk in Kentucky, Kim Davis, that uh, when she refused to sign same-sex marriage certificates, that, too bad we don't have more like her, let me just say that. But it's interesting, the first thing they brought out, the media is, well, she's been married three times before. What right does she have to do that? What they fail to tell you, though, that she must really came to Christ just a handful of years ago and turned her life around. But they dig up stuff in the past to assault your character and your witness. So important that we be unrebukable. That we have a character that stays with God's word. That we don't give stones for a 
whoever to throw at us. Now, I tell you what, I am thankful that Jesus Christ doesn't dig up my sins from the past. The Bible says we're forgiven. That my sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west. Try to measure that distance. It's pretty long. So keep it unrebukable. And then there's the time element. Keep the commandment until Jesus returns. Until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, what a motive to live the Christian life. Coming back. He may return any day. And we need to realize, do we have something in our life that we would be ashamed of if Jesus came back today? Well, let's just get taken care of. Give it to him. And confess it and he'll forgive you. That's what I like about him. Uh, so what a great motive that we would do that. Now, in the New Testament, there are three words that are used to describe the return of Jesus. Uh, one word is parousia. That speaks of the arrival of a king. It's used to picture what we call the rapture, uh, the snatching or taking away of God's people, the church. Uh, rapture comes from the Latin word rap rapio, but it's the event we find in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Just turn back, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 15. First Thessalonians 4, verse 15. Uh, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from, the heaven, from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then, which, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. But you look at verse 17. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. That word uh, harpazo, it means to seize, to catch, to catch away, to pluck and pull, to take by force. <coughs> now, that event is imminent. It could happen any moment, at any time. So in the twinkling of an eye, we could be present with Christ in the air, just like that. So be ready. Now there's a second word, apocalypsis. That means unveiling or revelation. And that's why when we speak of the book of Revelation as the apocalypse, because it describes the unveiling of Jesus Christ. In fact, it begins. 
the revelation unveiling of Jesus Christ. Right in verse 1. Uh, so Apocalypsis emphasizes the Lord's visible return. In the rapture, when he takes the church, God's people, only we see it. I mean, other people notice we're gone, but we're going to get to see Jesus. We're going to see him visibly. Isn't it interesting that only believers saw Jesus after he was resurrected? You don't find unbelievers gawking at him. He appeared to believers. And only believers are going to see the rapture, Christ in glory. It also speaks of his visible return to the world when he comes in power and glory. There's a third word. Epiphania. It's a word used here in Timothy chapter 6, verse 14. Until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. That word appearing can literally be translated shining forth. Keep the commandments until the shining forth of our Lord Jesus Christ. That word appearing uh, is where we get our English word epiphany, which means glorious manifestation. And I tell you what, when the church is raptured, in an instant taken out of this world, a lot of the world is going to have an epiphany. It's not going to be glorious, though. For us, it'll be glorious. But for them, they're going to realize what's coming. Judgment. Tribulation. They've been left behind. Wow, what a shock. But for us, the glorious manifestation of Jesus Christ. Well, an unusual event tonight, a blood moon. And it's going to be a big one. And the skies look clear. And we should be able to see it when we're here at church tonight. And we're going to look. We're going to watch. What an unusual event. Does that mean Jesus is coming back? He may. We may not get, we might be looking from above. He could come back. But what if he doesn't? I'm still going to be looking. I'm still going to be watching. In fact, maybe after this month, we might hear more of what Peter talked about. You look in 2 Peter, chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3. In verse 1, Peter says, 
This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Peter goes on to point out the patience of God. That it will come. That he wants all to be saved. But it will happen. So no matter what, we just stay looking. We just keep waiting. We just keep obeying the commandment until he appears and shines forth. Stay faithful. And that may happen. Things may just kind of level out and people say, well, that was just a bunch of baloney. And then, bam, Jesus could show up. Be ready. Robert Bakey tells the story of a professor he knew and a chaplain that were both taken as prisoners of war in World War II in Germany. His uh, professor friend was named MacDonald and then a Scottish chaplain. Uh, in the prisoner of war camp they were in, it had American soldiers and British soldiers. It had a wire fence down the center. The Americans were kept on one side and, and, and the British soldiers on the other side. And the professor uh, was put on the side of the Americans. And the Americans had rigged up a kind of a homemade radio that the Germans didn't know about so they could listen to the news. They could pick up some uh, radio news. And so McDonald would go in and find out what's going on, walk over to the fence, talk to the Scottish chaplain, and, and he would walk back over to the British barracks and tell them the news that they were picking up. And they would speak in Gaelic so that the Germans couldn't understand them, didn't know what was going on. Well, finally, the news came that the German Supreme Command had surrendered to the Allied forces. MacDonald walked over to that fence, told that Scottish chaplain. He walked over to the British barracks. And he said, there erupted out of that barracks a shout of joy. He said, that news transformed that camp. The Germans at that camp would not hear about it for three more days. But he said in those three days, those soldiers were completely different. They were singing, they were rejoicing, they were waving at the soldiers, the German guards. Well, they knew the victory had been won. That was just a matter of time before the Allied army showed up that they were going home. And in the same way, our victory's already been won. 
at Calvary with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we can go through this life with joy and faithfulness and wave at the world and no matter what they do. Because he's coming back. And he's going to take us home. And we stay with the commandment until he appears. Faithful. Jonathan, going to bring our team back up. The old rugged cross. Someone need to come today? When we look at our hearts, do we, are we ready for Jesus? Can we say, Lord, I'm ready. If you come today, I'm ready. If we have a doubt or, or need to do something, the altar's open. We can come to God, deal with him directly. You come. Let's stand as we sing the old rugged cross.